What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Howdy, everyone. If you enjoy the show, join our free Discord. Link in the description and chat with the cast. Please leave a review and consider joining our Patreon for behind-the-scenes content and more. Tears start at a dollar, and even that helps us out. To stay up-to-date with episode releases and more, follow us on Twitter at Riffway Podcast. Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Realms, the 5e D&D podcast where we discuss all you need to know about world building, from gods and demons to mountains and molehills. I'm Nathan, the dungeon master and creator of Riffwake. I'm Josh, your co-host and fellow dungeon master, world builder, and fantasy enjoyer. So let's describe the physicality of your world. Woo. Is it athletics? Yes. Is, it- <laughs> Is it kind of like taut? Like, like, does it have like a swimmer's body? Like... You know, is it like maybe has a fat, but like strong fat. Like you know, yeah. What I'm talking or is about? it like have a like bad beer belly, but like have like <laughs> really bad haircut? I don't know. <laughs> so yes, I mean, I feel like physical location ties itself to theme. It ties itself to setting, uh, so intricately. Like it ties itself to politics, um. Historically, a lot of polities have centered around basically where they are located geographically, where their people can thrive. Um, and their culture is based off that, too. Like, Scandinavia was harsh and cruel, and so their gods oh, yeah. were pretty harsh. Like, that was a thing. Yeah. Like, you know, um, you know, medieval China was incredibly bureaucratic and their version well, yeah, of the like heavens was thing, literally yeah. a bureaucracy. Yeah. Like, you, you could not get more bureaucratic than the mandate of heaven. Like, <laughs> it's good shit. That's good shit. It's great. It's, it's like, the thing is, it's an awesome way to like be inspired is by, like, the Warring Kingdom periods of China and Japan. Like, those are great places to be, like... Those are really fun. Those they are. They're, they're awesome. I love them. <laughs> um, but, like, your geographical location will influence how you think about the people that you put there Indeed. and whether or not you put people there. That's... There's so much fun to be had when it comes to geographical locations uh, and just being creative. Because mm-hmm. with just, like, some basic 
biomes, quote unquote. You can just have a grassy plain, a mm-hmm. desert, a mountain range. But then and you can you think can... like what people groups thrive there. Yeah, like you you can think about like what kind of lifestyle this would lead to. But one of my favorite things to do, especially when you're working on something where things are atypical and you really want people to remember something, you think whatever you have and add something that's unusual to it. Um, mm-hmm. The Azern Desert. It's a desert, but the sand is purple. And it's purple because something, something. You know, that kind of shit. It's <laughs> very fun. Nailed it. Very deep into world building on our world Very deep. The, d- the deep. the deep. It's purple because blah, blah, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> you know, blah, blah. You know, taint. You know, the taint, your taint, what? <laughs> taint. Because someone rubbed their butthole on it or something. <laughs> you know, how it, purple butthole, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> magic, 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 you know. <laughs> exactly. Magic, magic, magic. Exactly. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, like, you can really go uh, all out with these kinds of things. The main thing I would say is, trying to create something memorable um mm-hmm. something that's different something that sticks in people's minds because i don't know how many like generic forests there are in fucking oh, fantasy God. a generic oh. forest that is home to a tribe of traveling elves this oh you is, mean all of them this is <laughs> elfwood and that's elfwood <laughs> too and that is mm-hmm. wood elf what <laughs> that's wood elf's territory <laughs> um but here's the thing like have have fun with it indeed like i mean like i cannot stress um enough how important that is to your world building is creating things that you enjoy and that you think other people are going to enjoy too like hey maybe this grassy plain to the north of your heavily civilized imperial society are bands of ravaging nomads who are in the process of centralizing, who are going to present present an existential threat to the empire in a couple of years. The empire, the empire, and then you, and then you just have the Genghis Khan thing happen. It's gonna yeah, be exactly. Fun. Like something, something cool and fun, and like, is it is it new? Not necessarily. But is it cool? But if but is it cool? Yeah. But I mean, like. You don't have to be the first person to do something, but if you kind of just inject a little bit of your personality in there, um, you know, put put a twist in it, like you said, like, hey, you know, what if the raving band of nomads are, you know, a group of centaurs? Cool. Now what they if... bring their horse with them wherever they go. Like, awesome. <laughs> Whoa, they are the horse. <laughs> they are the horses. Become horse. What if there's a mountain range, but it's actually a giant fucking creature that gets up and moves every couple thousand years? That's an that's a classic. That's an awesome classic. It's so fun. Yeah. Like oh, it's like it's like oh yeah. The last time we had some earthquake these bad, it was the great no, no, no. sundering a thousand no, no, years no, ago. No, my favorite thing to do with that is just make like, the double whammy and just like. Oh, he gets up, and then he's leaving. Oh, shit. 
so many people have been like lifted up and all of the quakes are happening and then it moves away and then like that, that pit that it was sitting on. Oh, actually people got the thing to move there because they wanted to cover something very dangerous. Oh no, now everyone's gonna die! You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> the old dramatic. I love it. I love, I love that shit, you know? Yeah. Like, you know? Have fun with it. Like, create geographical locations that you'd be interested in exploring because those are the places that your characters and in both your, like your games and in your stories, if you're writing, are gonna want to check out. All right, moving on. Mm-hmm. Settlements. Uh, I'm gonna put my little brother on blast here, and say that this is where he has the most trouble. Is settlements and literal like literally the question of how many people are in this world? Like, uh, I mean, are, the good are, answer, are, <laughs> the good answer is, uh, I don't know, and I don't really care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like. Are there millions of people here? Are there millions of people here? How is that going to affect you? Literally, how does it affect you? Like, think about it. The only difference, you don't need to know the number. You just need to be like, as your party walks down the street, you struggle to make your way past, you notice that the market square is currently filled full of people. So you decide to take another route. Something like that, just little things here, little things there. You don't need a number. Numbers don't, actually tell very little about a place because as humans we can't differentiate what a thousand people and ten thousand people look like Mm -hmm. you don't need a fully accurate realized census of the universe you can just know big city medium city small city town village hamlet literally a homestead like you can create those vibes for your settlement settlement vibes the vibes like capital city like you know ghost town you don't need to know that there's exactly 450,000 people living in the capital at any given time like what does that mean to anyone yeah unless unless somebody's like okay all that tells me that it's fucking huge like just, <laughs> just call it that can, can you imagine just being like okay Today we'll be going to this city. Um, we have one mission for you. I need you to kill exactly half of the population. <laughs> Here's the census <Boom>. data. <laughs> I, need I would you like to you to organize exactly two hundred thousand murders. And just make sure, just make sure that um the demographics are correct. Um, you you kill everyone half. You know, everyone. We don't want we don't want it to be disproportionately any race or gender. Children are fine. Or age group. No, children are fine. Um, <laughs> I need you to kill exactly half of the children under the half age of three. Them. Yes, but <laughs> at the age of five, you only can kill five. <laughs> <laughs> exact census data. But, but first, yeah. you must conduct uh, this thorough census upon the population. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, settlements are good for establishing uh vibe like relationships um if you want a character to be from a thrust or bustling hive city 
um, you don't want to be describing that place as quaint. Like, like, you know, you can divvy things that, like, in your really, really big, big areas, big towns, huge towns, you can divvy things up into, like, districts, right? Like, and that depends on how deep you want to go into this. I mean, you realistically t- speaking, in most people's games, unless you're very, very into a lot of city-based adventuring, where you're, like, mm-hmm. helping, like, going around houses, finding people, uh, searching the sewers, helping out at the palace, and then searching through the streets, trying to find uh, the, the hidden um, enemies among us, you know? That among kind of thing. Us. Among us. Uh, but... <laughs> Like, unless you're doing something like that, realistically speaking, all you need are where are you going to stay when you are in that place? Where is the place where the characters go and get their uh, provisions gear. and gear? These mm-hmm. three things are really all you need. Perhaps have a couple things that are unique, like, like happening in the city, unique to the city, and have people slash places for them. For example, if it's a port city, be like, oh, there's this place in the port where, generally speaking, you have a certain group of characters that people, yeah, the, your characters will meet when you go to that place. Um, certain events that happen, you don't need to specify. Um, that, let's cut that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's really important. To not be like, okay, this city has 27 inns. I am going to write every single fucking inn. And every single <laughs> fucking person that owns the inn, their entire backstory, who... Every who, potion shop that is every in this po- world. Exactly. It's stupid. People in real life don't go to every single fucking shop in their city. They have like... <laughs> Two or three places that they just go to. I have lived in my town for 30 years. (laughs) I go to the same half dozen restaurants. Exactly, (laughs) because people aren't, in in real life, aren't that, like, quote-unquote adventurous or don't care to give the effort to find new places that... Like, like here's the thing, you'll experiment with new places every once in a while, but you're like, I have my half dozen plus... Yeah, um, locations just, where I want to eat regularly. And imagine this, in a world where, it's, generally speaking, most of the people you're talking to, you quote-unquote f- form deep like relationships with, very often the people, the characters that you meet in these stores are like, oh, you're back. Um, hey, we got yeah. this thing in. You, we can give you, like, you, you get a discount because you're, you're regular here. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, whoa, you can do that. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, build settlements as deep as you need them to be. If you're creating a one town sandbox, you're going to need to know a lot about the inner workings of the city. If you're creating an entire world where this is going to be one of many stops that the characters are making, um, you're not going to need as much deep detail in it. I would say mainly just go for things that are unique if and yeah. like just kind of glaze over the shit that maybe aren't so important to what the to the party's experience and the player's experience of this setting and world. And if the characters go like, "Hey, is there a 
thing that you did not think of? You can either say yes or no and just like wing it. Like I I'd say that's something hugely important for how to world build is just, you know, have things at the ready, have names at the ready, just kind of like in the background, not really assigned to anything. <laughs> right, sure. Yes, of course. Of, co- of course, names, the bane names. of all D&D players. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I, the, I have names, right? His name the, is Skritsnick the yes. Goblin Bard. <laughs> and then What's his last he become, name? He becomes, he becomes the party's new, 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 new best friend. New bestie. Skritsnick like, Snotsky is his name. <laughs> it's like his name is... Uh, James, <laughs> J- James Buchanan <laughs> Barn, Barn Tussler, <laughs> and he and and he yes, <laughs> and he, he is a person. He 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 doesn't really have a job, you know. He just walks <laughs> around in a predetermined circle. <laughs> Uh, he's one of the NPCs in Pokemon who runs in a square formation for the whole game. Yeah, I think he's slightly mentally ill, but nobody <laughs> really disturbs him because the last time that happened, he challenged them to a battle and won. <laughs> and he took 500 gold from the guy. He just straight That's up insane. beat the shit out of that guy and robbed him. I th- everyone just leaves. James. Just, just fucking leaves them alone at this point. <laughs> James is messed up. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on. Mm-hmm. Talking about some interesting things. What are some notable places in your world? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a big one. I mean, that's something that we've you've been talking about since we started talking about physical locations. Do you want to start off on that, bad boy? Yeah. Honestly, I, I would say notable places are something that I highly enjoy writing and making. I try to scatter at least one or two in every single city uh, I build and across like the general landscape. So what this can be is very um, simple. It's just something that is different. Something different from just, ah, this is a medieval city. Um, it can be ah, this place has very, very, like, uh, has this place where there's a giant tower that shoots lasers. Whoa. (laughs) Hey, this is a city that flies. Yeah, so essentially it's like having a notable point. It doesn't necessarily need to be... um, part of the a city or a settlement it's just like the core idea is like something that makes a place different so for example there's this city in dren yeah in, 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 in fuck that's that, that sentence stupid there's this city <laughs> in riftway called dren um so not only is it a dwarf city it's built underground what what now that just sounds typical, you know, dwarf city underground, blah blah. There's a bunch of fucking tunnels, you know, and shit. No, what I went for was, what if you just cranked magic up to eleven, just made this entire city where it's kind of inspired by this game called Titanfall Two, where there's this thing where they build 
houses and then they create this training area. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. what if an entire city was based on the concept of we are able to move buildings around, construct buildings very quickly using high high magic, high tech, like high magic tech, um, mm-hmm. to just create buildings really easily and very fast, and then just create a multi-level city where you have giant elevators moving people in between the different levels. And yeah, that's essentially what I thought of and I created, which has a very... Like, it's different from the typical Dwarven city. So, instantly, when people heard about it, they're kind of drawn to it because it's so different and so unique Mm -hmm. in its concept. Um, There's, for example, just a town called... um, Fucking forgot the name. (laughs) (laughs) Yo... This town How called deep and uh, notable. <laughs> Venar, I think. Um, I think mm-hmm. I, if I, I I might remember incorrectly, but there's this town called Venar in the Azern Desert, and it takes both the elements of having the properties of the desert sand, and then cr- uses it to create this place where the sand is used for something, and that's something that really adds to this thing, having a reason for things being a certain way. And that's how I would say try to go for your world building where you have your world building stack upon each other. So you create this cool place. Then be like, okay, what does this cool place do? Then be like, what could people do with this cool place? And then what Mm -hmm. cool things could they do with the things from that cool place? And with that kind of line of thought, you can create a lot of notable places within these clues cool areas yeah what do you think josh 100 percent. i mean like that's 100 percent true like the important part of notable places is uh is that it's a conversation starter between you and your players um it gives you an opportunity to you know tell your players a little bit of the history of the world without having to um, basically will step up in front of them and go, long ago, in the before time. <laughs> and you actually get to see, like, oh, this is a notable place. This is where um, the giant so-and-so created his axe that literally cleaved the world in half, which is why we have this imperceptibly deep pit. You know, like, you know, fun stuff like that, where you get to like create an important narrative piece about the history of your world without having to stand in front of your players and be like, pay attention. Come on, everyone. Look at me. Exposition is the most boring way to describe something very cool. Yeah. As they say in English class, show don't tell. (laughs) But I mean, it's, it's true. Like, players like seeing cool things and they will ask you about them. And if they don't ask you about them, that's okay. Maybe they just weren't paying attention this time. <laughs> Cause I've had that happen where I'm like this cool thing. And they're like, awesome. And then they, they don't realize that it's noteworthy. And you're like, that's right. I haven't established norms where this is something that, grossly upsets the norm so far 
so they don't realize why they should care. <laughs> oh, right. Talking about notable places, that's actually a very, no, like, quote-unquote, notable thing. Um, is that <laughs> it's you need to establish normals before you do something Upend different. Upend them. Yeah. yeah that, that's why, like, for example, Jarden, in contrast with all the other cities, is the most typical-looking city mm-hmm. of all the D&D cities. The only notable quote-unquote thing it, it has is like really tall walls, and that's about it. I mean, it's why almost every single first-level adventure involves goblins, kobolds, or bugs. And it's not because they're the only CR one-quarter creature. <laughs> or or, or <laughs> rats. Sometimes rats. I love um, rats. It's a, I mean, they're great. Um, but it's literally to establish normal it's like who are we well right now you're no name adventurers you know fighting rats in the sewer and hoping you don't die that's your normal right now that's where that's where we're sitting um and so kind of like taking a couple of sessions to establish the world that they're in so that way you can kind of twist it a little bit later so that way they're like wait hold up I thought that we didn't have high magic. Why is this city flying? And you're like, oh, what? What you you want to know? Come here, let Papa Josh tell you all the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on. What's right. next? I think we're in ideological. So this is where you start actually adding people to your world. Um, like, the man-created things, like, like not necessarily gods, but, you know, how people interact with their gods, their religion, um, how people interact with the, each other, their politics, how they've done so in the past, their history, and when history kind of morphs into legendary history and mythologized history as well. Right, so let's begin with religion. <laughs> Josh. Nathan's favorite. Josh, <laughs> oh no, Josh. Nathan, you know so much about religion, don't you? Josh, what what is religion? <laughs> Help! I don't All know right, what me, it is. Let me go get it my soapbox real quick, and I'll look up my Bible. Me, Josh. So there's religion only one true me. God. <laughs> okay, and his name is what? I believe his name is Bread Jesus. Bread. Bread God Jesus, okay. Bread Bread Lord Jesus. <laughs> bread Lord Jesus, okay. So, when you're creating religions for your setting, um, that's just it. Like, you, you've already made gods, or lack thereof. Um, we've seen it in our own world, is that even if there's not an incredible um, evidence for, yeah. or, pro- or like, Un- unassailable proof of deities mm-hmm. will make them like so why would that not be the case for someone who literally calls upon the power of thor and then calls down a lightning strike i think I that's going to be enough upon enough the people. power of thor bam bam and then you're like i can't hear anything no <laughs> i'm deaf but if you're going for the, you know, deities play an important part into the world, then you have to establish, like, okay, well, how do 
people interact with these deities like what are their like so what are their they do what are their beliefs right um what are their gods beliefs those are those are actually quite fun are they cross-sectional like do people follow their deity's word to the letter or their how do they pray changes been made how do they pray that's always fun how do they make their sacrifices like that's like a fun little like religiosity question is and then like how does religion impact politics right like if you have some group of people that are um i'm gonna use christological ones like during the protestant reformation in europe you had protestants and you had you know catholics and they hated each other (laughs) and it was the impetus for a not insignificant amount of violence in uh and it literally shaped entire political dynasties like if is it going to be that important for you or is it going to be like yeah everyone has the same 40 gods in their pantheon and they don't really argue about them or what is it gods, going to be like you know <laughs> or what gods but even then even in your what god setting like we have yeah, temples we have paladins like honestly like i i would say like the thing i find most fun about religion is it can be used greatly in moments in the story where a character is lost um if you recall uh there was this bit where Gorif kind of like at towards the end, I think at the end of arc one, he was like questioning his faith or something. I I can't quite remember <laughs> yeah, what the fuck. Sure. Something, uh, something. I think he was like, "Am I a good person?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then like he because um the way that <laughs> the practice of prayer in for for what do you call that? Oh, the name Petra? of Petra? Yeah, for Petra. Is to strike the statue like uh, with the ceremonial sword or something like that? Yes. To clash swords, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And he just like, like it didn't hit him in the right way or something like that. And it then didn't he, resonate with him anymore. It resonated. Like, like, like he hit it and then, oh, he didn't feel like the same, like, like the the hit yes um <laughs> hit yes you know the the religion thing yes um mm-hmm. he wasn't yeah. filled with the spirit exactly uh <laughs> mm-hmm. and it creates a rather interest interesting moment not just that it was like ah this tells me a bit about more about my world uh and it, and it's like a interesting different way that people could pray you know yeah like how how do the how do, how do the war monks of petra view prayer like oh my offering is the broken swords of my enemies like okay well what happens when you're not at war what is your what is your offering to petra then it's like i'm just oh, gonna okay. kill some guy on the street just slit <laughs> someone's throat <laughs> War! But it's like, that's just murder. War! <laughs> I think that's, that doesn't count as just war. I declare war upon spell. you and your family! <laughs> and then kill you. And you upon your kin. 
Um, <laughs> but exactly that is, you know, how do characters like, like your player characters are going to want some religion in their setting generally. Um, because it's fun. <laughs> oh shit. Like, another thing is that the religions that have power, uh, speak to something of the times. Mm-hmm. For example, if you are currently living through a war-torn period, there's likely a lot of believers in whatever war god you may have. Because mm-hmm. they, they might believe, oh yeah, if I pray to this war god, they might leave me the fuck alone. That'd be great. Or they might empower me. But yeah, yeah so that, that's yeah. why so many, so often, like, big... <sighs> Big deities, like the head honcho deities, the most powerful, influential of the time, kind of changes. Like, if you look at Aztec mythology, which I know we're getting deep into the woods, (laughs) but I mean, that's just like part of religion, is that like, there were basically city gods, like, and then whenever you would conquer and your god was quote-unquote ascendant, um, you would be like, oh yes, the other deity was always part of our Patreon, or not Patreon, <laughs> Pantheon. You, you, you can, you too can be part of our you Patreon. You can be part of our Patreon. <laughs> Have always been part of the Pantheon. Uh, you just had their abilities mixed up, or you just weren't correct on what their do- divine domains were. Um, you know. Yes, this individual was the creator god, but this person has become ascendant. Uh, I mean, the same thing happened in ancient Egypt, where uh, the creator gods basically handed down things generationally to their successors. And, you know, that's an interesting play. Like, centering an entire campaign over, like, a god literally being in the process of dying and who which god is going to take up their mantle huge <laughs> like huge <laughs> so talking about people mm-hmm. politics i am a staunch communist i don't know what i am <laughs> am i human or am I dancer? I do not. I know. knew you were gonna say "Am I dancer?" at the end of it, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, aside. which are you? Are you human or are you dancer? Riddle me this. I don't dance, you know. So I think I'm human. Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. So, <laughs> politics. <laughs> mm-hmm. What are politics? Uh, well, politics are anything that centers around a polity. A, you know, it, oh. I mean, that's just what it is. Um, it's basically a collection of beliefs that people have and, and how those beliefs interact with the world that they see, the world that they don't see, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so... How do politics play in your world? So in politics... Okay. Now, this is one of the huge ones that your characters are either going to be deeply invested in the politics of your world 
or they could not give fewer shits. Right. Like, it is going to be one or the other. There is no one who's like, well, I'm kind of interested in how the politics play a part in everything. <laughs> no. there. It is either going to be one of the most important things to someone, or it is going to be, who gives a fuck? <laughs> no, no, no. It's like, okay. So, um, that noble, uh, his policies on um, agriculture is bad. My mm-hmm. family is starving. And we got to save the people. We will yeah. now kill that guy. <laughs> it might be that deep, or it could be like even deeper. It's like, well, the reason why this local lord is having to levy such heavy taxes is because, because. the king is forcing increased tribute from all of his vassals on mm. account of preparing for war. <laughs> we must Therefore, now disincentivize the war. By one means or another, at the same time, we must form a base of power within the nobility to try and convince the king that there are other methods and possibly that um, certain things could be done to perhaps get this prince in power. Or it's Um, like, oh my god, I don't care, just make the druid make it more fertile and kill the local noble. Who cares? You know he bad. He he, he bad. He, he bad because taxes. You, you know, tax government stealing from us. You know, yeah, <laughs> my money. It is. I mean, politics is one of those things that you're either going to make it the entire campaign, or it is going to be a backdrop where it's like you know your your characters will be loyal to one of half dozen semi-important nobles and that's the person that they're gonna freaking die for sometimes like i mean that's true you we i've seen it where characters get deeply invested into like a baron and they're like listen to me mr baron i'm gonna make you so fucking wealthy (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like you don't even really know this guy (laughs) it's like okay this boy gonna get strong. Like, it's like, at okay. the end of the campaign, he's the next Baron is now the Emperor. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. It's like, how did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> the important thing is, is that the, the characters have adopted this Baron boy, and, Baron and now boy. it is what it is. Lord Baron boy. Lord Baron Boynton. Boynton. <laughs> Okay. What of history and things in the past? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, history with D&D and in other settings often mixes very often. Often mixes very often. Often yes. mixes with legend and mythology. Um, depending upon how active your deities are in the world, right? Um, like your histories could be something like the Odyssey, mm-hmm. or your histories could be something like the Bible. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, it truly 
could go either way. And like neither of those are even extremes, right? right? Like like in one you have generally a histography of a people coming to a place doing things, and in the other one you have and then the god fucked them up again. <laughs> like You know what would be cool? Mm-hmm. If there were th- these things called uh, historians. Unfortunately, in many <laughs> cases, they aren't a thing. Unfortunately, historians didn't actually care about history until the 1900s. Yeah, because, because, because like, for a very long time in, like, in real life, historians just kind of wrote shit. Yeah. Like, 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 like they just wrote shit, and then they the stuff that they wrote was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like seen as better to write shit up, like make it yeah better. L- like make it narratively interesting, like you know, add a dragon you, here, you know. Do you have any idea how many quote-unquote general speeches we have? Like, where they say this is exactly what this person said before the battle or during the battle or anything like that? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but no. (laughs) Their sources were like that guy's centurion's cousin who told him about it. This guy hasn't left the fucking city he was born in in his entire life. How would he know? How would he know? And that's because old school history wasn't supposed to be 100% 100% historically accurate to the world and to the time it was designed to tell a story and sell a narrative and if that's how you want your history to be like good on you like that's f- that's a fun type of history and then there's also you can make your history be like this is 100% the truth of what happened in the past and it's been bastardized over time that's fun I mean, at that point, you're getting into legend, really. I did to say, like, when it comes to history, it's, like, very much write what you need, because history is an easy wormhole to just start writing. Oh, my God, yes. Way too much that will not be relevant at all. Because it happened 750 years ago, everyone involved with it is dead, and things are completely different from when they were back <laughs> Exactly. Then. It's, like, um, it's it's good to write some, but generally speaking, just keep it towards what you're covering and uh, generally work backwards, not... Yeah, yeah. Basically, write yeah. Some, it's easier to write something and then be like, okay, why did this happen? And then you go backwards rather than being like, okay, I'm going to write this world. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm just going to write it. Then I'm going to mm-hmm. extrapolate. I'm going to start with creation, and I'm going to end with the height of the Imperial Age. And then I'm going to end with Ragnarok, and how the world <laughs> ends. I'm going to write that I'm going to start all over. Um, yeah, history is something that is like, like, I care about history. I love history. It I is one like, of my favorite subjects. I just like guns, you know, like big all right. gun boom booms. <laughs> Very cool. Make big, make big boomstick. I like um, history because many big boomstick, but not present day. So no actual modern dying is worse. I think. 
<laughs> than past dying. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I think history is like fiction, but fun. <laughs> but, but also interesting. Interesting. Um, it like happened, but it's but you can ignore all the horrible stuff because it happened <laughs> in the past, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, is that right? Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Double checking everything. <laughs> it's like you you're reading reading through like World War Two Germany. This is a storybook, right? Now, nah, very enjoyable. <laughs> these these guys are evil. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, I've never that, been an actually evil empire before. I mean, that is that is really good writing. Why is this <laughs> excellent? Why is, done. why is this guy an idiot? Why are these <laughs> why why did they send these people? It's kind of Ah, they're dead. F- fuck. <laughs> it's it's not it it actually happened. Ah. <laughs> Whoa. It's it's uh that's not good. <laughs> big oof. <laughs> Just saying the big oof to horrible human injustices. Mm, yes. <laughs> exactly. Such is life. Such is life. Uh, let's see here. Um, anything else that we want to talk about regarding history? Um, I would say. History is one of those things. That's what I was going to say. History is one of the items here that I say will hit prospective world builders with the most burnout. Right. Um, If there's anywhere that people have like given up on their world building, it's been history because there's there's an infinite amount of information that you can write. Not all of it is going to be interesting because that's not how time works. Like not something interesting doesn't happen constantly. And you can basically write forever and you will feel like you are making no progress because everything that you're writing about has already happened and there is no agency for like the players or anyone else to make changes to it. That um, is true. Yeah. So so write what you need. Uh write history that sounds fun, that sounds cool. Um and if push comes to shove, you can always add more later as characters get more invested in the setting and want to know more about its past. I would say the best thing about writing history a bit more like spread out in terms of like just general details, not explain too much, is that yeah, you can always leave enough out that you can write in more information when you want to do the really cool thing and be like, okay guys, we're gonna do a one shot in this time period mm-hmm. and add a little bit of information to that history a bit of detail to the to the great horde invasion the great horde invasion what was it like the great horde invasion <laughs> the grand horde invasion <laughs> so many men were lost it's an awful <laughs> death by snoo snoo is what a way to go <laughs> <laughs> They did a great service think... to this country. <laughs> <laughs> Applause. That, that really does, but it does um, 
lend itself to our next point, which is going to be legend, where it's more like fictionalized history. These are stories that the people tell about themselves, right? Like the mythical founding of the people group or the country, the the legend of your founder, the legend of his you know, right-hand man and the Knights of the Round Table and... And his mom. And his mom. (laughs) (laughs) But it's that, like, those kinds of legends are fundamental, I feel, towards a person, like, to a group's uh, ideology, uh, to their history, to their politics, and to their religion. Like, the number of saints that people call upon to this day like it's it's insanity there's so many there's one for every day of the year and then some <laughs> um, i think legends are very fun in that they can be true or untrue and there's certain elements that might or have both been, like yeah and there's certain elements that might have been lost to time and then the best thing is like when you can do something like have something be the okay, it's very hard to do this, but I, I, I don't think I've done this before, but one thing I really want to try doing at some point. Have mm-hmm. some great legend be talk talk talked about somehow uh be told to the place in a way that doesn't sound forced whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is that they just continue their adventuring and then hear about different stories and shit across Mm -hmm. the lands and then someday on another adventure they're just like they are somewhere and then they're like they come across this thing or whatever the legend is about and you have had enough time with that story in the background that they hear a little bit about the thing and then the first thing that they think about is oh is that that thing from way back when we heard that thing you know Mm mm-hmm I, I I always hope to pull that off. I hope to pull that off someday. Because that's that is a dream. But in terms of legends, I think they really mold a like when you're writing a world, um, they really create a sort of uh what do these people believe? Uh, well, yeah, believe. Because there's certain like deeper concepts that are added to these legends, you know. Um, in terms of what to the core of these legends actually um, mean to people, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. How do, like, what do people view like the noble or the valorous, um, the evil, the despicable, the dirty, the clean, like... The dirty clean boy. Dirty clean boy. But it's like, you know, who's the antagonist of your legend and why is important to understand people's values. And, like, obviously, no culture is a monolith, right? Like, no one's going to be exactly the same in any culture group. Um, But it gives you kind of that, like, jumping-off point of, you know, you don't have to... Like, history is politics, and politics is history. Legend is culture. Indeed. So... Moving on. Moving on. Past the ideological into the personal. 
The people people. Mm-hmm. So you can't have a story and just have places. <laughs> like, straight up. Or maybe you it's can, impossible. You know, well, okay, that's, uh, that's, that's technically correct. <laughs> you can have an utterly obliterated, no one is around Actually, landscape. Actually, that is an amazing concept for a world it's just like okay you are the last person in this entire world you want to you got this one mission and then you will now travel across this barren wasteland mm-hmm. there surviving. have been video games like that it's like surviving you are the last off. survive yeah. and then just you got one mission to do before you die do it mm-hmm. and that that's it that, that, that's always fun it is it's fun, fun but it doesn't really lend itself to D and D one hundred percent. Yeah, because it kind of needs something to fight. Y- yes, you kind of need you you the, the thing that you're fighting can't be nature in in D and D for the whole time because then you have oh I'm a level three ranger I good berry and you're like you son of a bitch <laughs> you're just like well I'm there goes my cross. stakes I I, th- I wanted you to walk across this wasteland just slowly. You know, deteriorating. Withering away. Withering away, just slowly dying. Looking at your dead civilization. Then desperately crawling to the last bit. But you eventually almost fail, but then kind of pa- kind of make it and do the thing you wanted to do. And then just but the die. fucking druid had to ruin it for everyone. <laughs> yeah, fucking druid. Fucking Fuck. druid. Fuck. Fuck you, druid. But yeah. um but yeah as far as people are concerned um there's a basically a classification for D&D that you have like NPC quest givers NPC existers like you know um people that are officially named who have official you know, desires and needs and everything like that. Um, I would say that depending upon what you're doing will depend how deep you go into your people. If you're doing a one-shot, then you probably only have a couple of actually named NPCs who are going to be influencing the group. Um, If you want to create an entire sandbox then, you know, have the movers and shakers, the very important people that you need in the world, but who you might not interact with until much later, acting in the world while the players are doing so as well. Right. I would say, like, let's go to important people to start with. Yeah. Um, I think uh, it does say a lot about your world, the kind of people that you meet along the way and these are very important like you need to write like people especially in the D game actually especially like in anything is very important mm-hmm. because they are the main way that your players slash readers whatever uh connect with the world in a way where mm-hmm. they're how you have a more emotional quote-unquote connection with it so Important people. Why are they important? Where do they come from? What do they want? Mm-hmm. Most think... important people that you're going to be interacting with and in Dungeons and Dragons or in your story are going to be um, 
like people with a mission, people on a mission, uh, people who have stakes in the status quo or who want things to be changed. Um, because player characters have so much agency in the world around them, um, that is generally who I find players will gravitate towards are, are other characters who want to make changes or who like have an important goal in mind that is co like co morbid co co-sponsored by the party. Right. I would say like, um, that's definitely one of the key things when writing important people is just make it something personal mm -hmm. because just, I mean, you can have people that just, okay, I'm just going to pay you a fuck ton of money and then you can do this for me. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have the same draw. So when we're world building, especially uh, for games, understand what the background and characters you're working with um, are so that you can create a quote-unquote important person that uh, fits a those, yeah, a hook that fits that um those goals. This way, it won't just be about the money; it'll be personal. Yeah. And having stuff that is personal is fun. If you have a bunch of characters who don't care about children and their plight, don't send them an orphan who's gonna cry. Like, <laughs> like, because <laughs> if they don't care, they're not gonna care. But if you have bastards. Those fucking bastards. But if you have characters that are like deeply moved by the struggle of people, show them people struggling. People struggling, oh no. I'm on a struggle bus. Hey, we gotta save him. He's struggling. <laughs> He's struggling. Um but like no one's gonna pay you fifty gold for a minor inconvenience. Right, like mm -hmm. things have to be important to people, and so you need to know what your characters, what your NPCs, what your quest givers, what your nobles want, and what they're willing to pay for it, like what they're willing to do. And I feel like that's the fun part of where alignment comes into D and D, where a I'm of a mind that alignment is not like a monolith where like, oh, this person is lawful good, so they must be lawful good at all times. It's like, this person is generally respectful of the law and a good person. What would he, what would he violate the law for? Right? Right. And that's interesting. Breaking your own rules. Yeah. Because someone has something... a rule about like you know not killing, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, if you don't kill me right now, I'm burning the school down. It's like it's like, oh, okay, oh, then. well, oh shit. <laughs> he does the in Indiana Jones and just pulls pulls out the gun, and shoots him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> having characters be willing to do things beyond their their normal is is fun it makes your characters feel alive it makes the world feel alive um as opposed to and i'm going to put wizards on blast here for a second okay <laughs> a 
in a lot of their like guidebooks, world books, pre-made adventures, there's just a box that says, and then the character says this. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you just how inorganic that feels, <laughs> where the person just goes, ah, yes, of course, thank you, heroes. Would you like 50 gold pieces? If only I had someone who could help me, I could pay them 50 gold pieces. Oh, golly gosh. Oh, golly gosh. I am a fully realized person. <laughs> I, I have goals, hopes. <laughs> And dreams. And dreams. <laughs> like any other person. I am not a placeholder, I promise. <laughs> I have 50 whole gold pieces. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Where, you know, you don't need every single person in your world to be a deeply realized, traumatized, you know, person. Oh, you can. Just everyone's can. traumatized. That's great. I love this. This is... <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted. Someone said trauma, and I just, oh, I went, my mind went blank. I love trauma. We won. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but make, make your characters feel real. Not like um, fake, you know? <laughs> not fake. Like, you know. Real, um, <laughs> real, goes, goes uh, not Pinocchio side. boy. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, the, if there's one thing that will build bring world building to life, it's characters living in it. Indeed. Talking about living with characters, uh, this is a really bad segue. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> oh, what a segue! <laughs> Let's talk about people you'll often interact with. So earlier, I was talking about uh, in settlements, you really just need like three or so places in general. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't want your star just to be, okay, you pull out the sheet of items they have. You want someone to interact with because that's always more fun. Yeah, you For want example, a plant fucker up in there. Yeah, exactly. Like, quirky, <laughs> cool characters. Mm-hmm. Fun, totally not questionable characters. Mm-hmm. I just love how, like, um, Doric and Sally are the most fucking... Like, they, they appeared in the first episode and... Have stuck still, around. Still going <laughs> strong, man. The, the joke never ends. <laughs> It's never not funny. <laughs> I mean, how how it's a fucking plant fucking dwarf not funny. That's the the other joke of he's not an elf, but he fucks plants. Whoa, whoa! It's a it's a two parter. <laughs> it's a double whammy. Uh, but yeah, those people that your characters are interacting with, they will. I don't know if you know this, but players love to adopt NPCs and just go, that's it, you're my son. <laughs> like <laughs> just that. It's... Like, not just that, but it's like, yeah. this person's gonna be like a brother to me. If you right, right. so much as harm a hair on their exactly. head, I will scream at this table. Like, <laughs> It's very much a case where people like people, and people that you like are pretty cool. <laughs> 
This is our first grader's guide to making friends. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like uh, the, the the thing is like having characters in the world that your players care about is the key thing that will make them come back to your table every week excited to, to play more. Mhm. Because at the end of the day, important people and all that are fun and shit, but when something happens to a character that the party cares about, they will ignore even if they're the, small. Yeah, they, they they ignore the cash. They will ignore all the rewards that it might give. They just want to see that person be okay, and it's like it feels so good to just be like, ah, I saved them. Yeah. Oh yeah, player characters will ignore the end of the world if they think their favorite NPC might be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's no like, joke. Th- like no, jo- they will. They'll do it. <laughs> it's like, okay, guys. Or even then, if it's like, if the world is in danger, but also their favorite NPC is in danger, they will feel so bad if they have to choose the world over their favorite. Yeah, indeed. Like, that's just the way we're wired. Just imagine this. It's like, okay, do you want to save your friend that you care a lot about, or you want to save the untold masses? <laughs> Literally untold. I don't know any of them. <laughs> yeah. I don't actually live in the same world as them, but this, this, you know, Sally girl, she's very, been very cute, you know? She's been very nice to me. She's a, just a normal girl. Why, why does she have to die? Mm -hmm. But I mean, like, that was a centerpiece of the entire first arc of Riftwake, was literally just adopting a child. Yeah. Like, it, it... It it was very important to our characters that this it, that these NPCs were okay. We literally spent a a priceless, cannot emphasize that enough, a priceless resurrection potion, so we could feel better. Like, <laughs> 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 like I'm not going to go into spoiler details, but like that's literally it. Like priceless resurrection potion because we felt bad like <laughs> it's so good like i love it when that happens yeah it's like it's like okay we could hand this to someone important for untold amounts of wealth or or make me not feel so bad <laughs> like this girl that to be honest you, you didn't know Spoilers. that well you know yeah mm-hmm but, but, but it made it made one of your favorite NPCs sad. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are we gonna fix it? Hell yeah! <laughs> so fun, so so fun. <laughs> and then on the exact opposite of the spectrum of characters that your your PCs like, we have the villains who the sometimes villains. your characters like too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, like, I don't know how I did it, but I created the most hateable character in the first arc. Which one? Uh, Jacoby. Yes! He tortured a small child. Yes. <laughs> it's it's hard not to it's so dislike good. him. Like, I, I need to find a way to, you know, hit that peak again, you know? <laughs> I need to find a way to distill rage like that. Yeah, because, like... I, you know, after I've done that, nothing, not, you know, not I, I've never hit that same peak, you know. <laughs> peak. <laughs> peak of writing. Uh, but yeah, 
writing good villains is hard, but um, right, like having villains in your world is kind of important to create conflict against the characters. Mm-hmm. They might have opposing goals. Um, they might want something your characters have. They might want something from people your characters care about have. And that's mm-hmm. always going to be something that uh, plays into the world and plays into having your characters be invested in them. Um, so I would say, like, I'm not the best at writing villains up to this point. I would say, like, I've I've actually failed at doing so a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, a couple of times, like, the one, the major one time I uh one of the two <laughs> times i wrote uh actual villain which was um the red what was it red cardinal yeah the red cardinal and the uh troll god oh yeah troll god troll god is more like it's slightly different that one's a different troll issue, god but... was more like a force of nature like... yeah <laughs> yeah I but i mean really he's still like a principal it, but... antagonist yeah but i would say like the core um thing about villains is that they create motor um more like they create a a alternate force of motivation that mm-hmm. influences what your players do um and i i think that writing like when creating a villain it's very important to think about how can you make them oppose your players in a way that's fun mhm it's not just like okay um I guess they they fight you. There must be like <laughs> some they, try try to have something deeper in it where it's like, ah, this person fucking offends my sensibilities. I want them dead. Yes. Like Jacoby was my first villain that I wrote and oh sheesh, that was a good one. <laughs> Damn if he was not the antithesis of uh I mean like for me personally, he was the exact opposite of Lupix. Yeah, he's he he was like a fucking horrible person in the best <laughs> way. Like like Lupix was a demon on the outside, but an angel within for a long time, and Jacoby was a human on the outside and a demon within. Yeah, because he was a racist. Not just racist. Oh, yeah. No, no. Because it's one thing to be like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't like these people because of their, you know, race, and. Being like, ah, I don't like people because of their race. Now let me torture them. Um, <laughs> very different. And, very different. Uh, yeah, it's that was really fun because I think my favorite bit was when um shit spoilers um, <laughs> but there was one point where he did something really really horrible, and everyone like. You can hear it in the podcast where everyone was like, oh, shit. Like, everyone was both shocked and appalled. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Like, everyone uh, had a real-life reaction to that thing that he did. <laughs> and they had an immediate follow-up action, which was, of all right, now him. here I go killing again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so It's like, okay, well, you're not getting away with that one, motherfucker. Like. <laughs> Can can you give me an example of villains that you've written? Yes. Okay, so I feel with villains, you need to divvy them up between the big bad and the small bad. Like, and yes. I have found that the small bad is usually more compelling 
Right, right. Because they get more personal, right? right. Like they're For example, they're the Jacobi. Jesse and James in the Rockets to the Giovanni. Right, right. Like, like for example, Jesse and James are there all the time. Giovanni shows up at the very end. Like I was right, the right, boss. Exactly. <laughs> like I, I would say, like Jacoby's like a little like small smaller evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jacoby's the smaller evil to the Cardinals' bigger evil. Because very often the smaller evil one, like smaller evils, are like the people who they do something more direct to your party, and they just. Like they hit you where it hurts. They like fuck you up. Yeah, like big big evils fight against you conceptually, and small evils fight against you personally. Yeah, exactly. So give me an example. Uh, like, how have you done this before? So I let me see here. I have some that I really really like. Like, let me give you an example of a big evil. Um. In the very first Stars Without Number campaign that I ever DM'd, like, that I personally had ever DM'd, I was in college at the time, and I had a player who was a reformed assassin. Like, literally, right off the start of the gate, they were like, this character was an assassin, they're not anymore, and they worked for a group called The Silence. And... I was like, okay, all right, like, absolutely, you know, let's let's integrate this character's backstory a little bit more into the world. It's a huge, like, sci-fi sandbox setting, so there'll be plenty of opportunities for assassins to come up. And so the silence was kind of like these big bads that were antagonizing this character because they had abandoned the cause... Um, but also began antagonizing that character's friends as like a nowhere is safe for you um, kind of situation to the point where um, one of my player character's favorite NPCs um, was captured while defending them. Oof. Like, like literally the, the NPCs were running away from an ambush set up by the silence their favorite NPC like basically literally held the line and told them to get the fuck out of there and that he'd hold them off. Um, he gets captured and he is literally tortured and brainwashed oh, into joining the silence to fight against the player characters at a later date. Oh, and so sheesh. the the favorite NPC literally became a small evil. And I think that is that, the, that is so good. It it's, it was it was really emotionally captivating because he almost wins. Like the small evil almost succeeds. He almost defeats the entire party. He gets them down to like their last person. He's on minimal hit points. They're on low hit points. And like instead of the last moment of the fight being like, I try to stab this guy, they try, they attempt to appeal to his humanity and it gets through. Right. And mm -hmm. so the, the small evil who was one of their East characters, best friends, like gazes upon all the damage that he's done to his friends. And he wants to help them, but the, like the brainwashing, the biological augmentations that they've done to him 
are trying to force his hand and he literally stabs himself in the chest before Ooh. he takes down the last uh last character the last player character damn and so that was hugely emotionally satisfying yeah that's that's crazy good it it, it really was it, uh, like not to toot my own horn but like that was probably one of my favorite series like this this took place over the course of like the entire campaign it took so long for everything to pay off the way that it did um because this this npc had literally been around since like session one and he'd been on their ship with them he'd been on missions with them he's had like the lows of his life he'd had highs um and so these characters knew him and they cared about him and he knew them and he cared about them it just kind of lends itself to like, you know, small, small evil, big evil people who are just working, not necessarily even everyone who's evil. Like some people are working against the protagonist because they just disagree with them. Right. Um, yeah. I th I think that, yeah, definitely villains are just that extra push to do so like extra force to work against mm -hmm. that works against the players and that's like quite important when you're writing a world mm -hmm. because if everything's free selling there's no fun in that <laughs> and I, I think that just brings us to the end of this actually fucking long first episode of <laughs> of like how to get started like there's yeah i mean obviously a lot of stuff that we can talk about but yeah I think we can leave everything that, leave that for another episode so do we uh, want to like kind of review what we talked about a little bit? Like, you know, start with what you need, get a theme, get some location, get some history, and get some people. Like, yep. if we want to, if we want to distill a hundred percent of what we talked about here, that is the core foundations of your world. A theme, places, uh, what, what, what do you call the? Ideas, like Ideas. histories, legends. Yep, and people. Mm-hmm. I think that does it for today's episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does it for today's episode, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Realms. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier stars as low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Support benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, and even input on Rifts and Rules topics. Find us on Twitter at podcast, and you can send us an email podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and bye bye Also join the Discord.